Are you ready to change the trajectory of your business and see massive improvements? Each week, we'll share strategies and practices to generate sustained results and long-lasting success in your organization. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Innovation Junkies Podcast. I'm Jeff Standridge. This is Jeff Amarine. Glad to be back, Jeff. Hey, me too, man. How you doing? Good, good. Hey, today we're talking about situational leadership. Um, you know, in in um, when I first started studying leadership, I was um, introduced to this concept of authoritarian leadership, democratic leadership, and and what they called laissez faire, live and let live kind of leadership. And and the the the, the leadership or the management theorist at that time uh, basically said, "Oh yeah, you stay away from authoritarian leadership." You stay away from from uh, laissez-faire leadership, and you really need to be a democratic leader. You really need to kind of manage by committee, and and that really had an influence with me all the time. You know, one has obviously authoritarian has has high control and little freedom, and uh, laissez-faire has high freedom and little control. And then you know, kind of like the three the, the 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 three bears, that democratic leadership was just right. You know. What do you feel about that? How do you how did you, how did you feel? Did, you, did that resonate with you when you were going through that training? Oh, <clears throat> absolutely! And we got that early on, back to the early early 1980s when I was when I was at the Naval Academy, going obviously a big emphasis on leadership training and education there. And and at the time, it was it, you know I think there was already some awareness within military thinking that you use a particular style based on a couple of things, and one is the level of maturity of the people that were working for you. In other words, their professional maturity, where they were in their career, education, all that. The other was the actual situation. <clears throat> if you're driving a ship or you're in an aircraft, you don't have a time, a lot of time if you're an aircraft commander or a captain of a ship or the officer on deck to have a debate about what to do if it's an urgent situation. And so, I mean, that kind of sets up the idea of you use the right style based on what situation you're in. Yeah, situational leadership. And that's really the topic we're talking about today. And and Paul Hersey uh, kind of coined that term situational leadership. And and he basically took that authoritarian, democratic and laissez-faire kind of continuum, if you will. And he plotted below it this concept of uh, directive leadership, which is the authoritarian, hey, you go do this, to a coaching style of leadership that's kind of in between, you know, uh, authoritarian and democratic. It's, it's that you know, you, you you direct a little bit, you you give them some rope, and then you coach them along the way. Then there's this supportive leadership, which is uh, between democratic and laissez-faire, and then finally you've got delegating, where you where you hand it off, and and that really actually made a lot of sense to me, and I've used it for years since that. You know, they say different strokes for different folks because people need to be led differently, and then different strokes for the same folks based upon the situation, and and they like to talk about this concept of the risk. The situation being, as you just said, the risk of the of the responsibility or the task at hand plotted against their competence and confidence in doing it, right? So it's uh, the example I've used before is if, if I'm training a, a room full of people and the building breaks out in a fire, I'm probably not going to say, show of hands, what do you think we need to do? That's not the time for coaching, supporting, or delegating type of leadership. It needs to be directive. And so it's like you go pull the fire doors, you call 911, the three of you, let's get out of here, you go, you know, follow them out and I'll be around behind, right? 
uh, when I was a paramedic, it was the same thing, right? Um, you know, I would have people on the scene who wanted to help with a mass casualty incident. All right, you do this and you do that and you get out of the way because you're running around crazy over here, right? Uh, so that's based upon the situation. You might, directive leadership might be the absolute kind of leadership to use and any other kind could prove fatal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, where leaders sometimes struggle is if they've got one tool and it's a hammer, you know, the, the authoritarian, and they apply that to every situation, you, you, can, you can get evidence of what that does to an organization by looking at things like churn rate and employee satisfaction and a whole variety of other measures. So, again, it's another one of those things where the leader has to be willing to kind of shine the mirror on themselves and to also look critically at what's the situation and where are my people in terms of their maturity level? If you have a bunch of brand new uh, 17-year-olds right out of high school that need a lot of direction because they haven't had a lot of life experience, you got to be aware of that. If you have a bunch of PhD-level research talent that is used to being kind of self-directed, you got to be aware of that. So un really understanding your people and where they are and what they react to, I think also informs which of these situational leadership styles you, you should use. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think developing them to evaluate themselves. So so people say, well, how do you know which situation you use? And before I get into that, I want to share a couple of examples of how a leader that I had used both used different styles with me based upon the situation. I was 25, 26 year old, young assistant professor uh, in, in a uh, academic program and and my department chair said, hey, I want you to take over our recruitment and selection of candidates every year because we had a, a specific program that people came through. And the first year she directed, she said, you go do this in October and you do this in November and you do this in December and February, you do this. And then we select in March and et cetera. The second year, she kind of coached and supported. She said, OK, you know what to do. Then uh, between now and the end of the year, go do those things. And then let's touch base after the first of the year. If you need me, come see me. And then periodically, she'd say, how's it going? You need anything? Everything going all right? Well, then by the third year, she completely delegated it to me. And I redesigned the process, improved the process, used new selection tools. It was it was mine and I was running it. She completely delegated it to me. She was based. She was measuring me on the outcomes. Did we have a, a cohort of qualified candidates at the end of the day? Right. But then while I'm running and she's delegating this to me over here, she came to me and said, I want you to learn how to do the budget. In the first year, she directed me. We do this in October. We do this in December. You know, the second year she coached and supported me. But because she was using a directive or a coaching supporting style there, she didn't have to revert back and start doing the same thing to me on the on the uh, admissions process. I was good to go on that. So she was using two or three different styles of leadership with me based upon the situation and my confidence and my competence and her confidence in my competence, so to speak. So just an example. And, and, you know, I like to when people ask, well, how am I going to know which style to use? You know, my response is ask the people that you're leading. You know, you say, here's the task. Here are the outcomes that we have to have. Here's what we need to have done. Tell me what kind of leadership you think you need from me in order to make this happen. And if they say, oh, just let me run with it. OK, well, if I'm confident in their competence, I will let them run with it. But if I'm not then I might say, well, I tell you what, you go put the plan together and show me what your plan and what your milestones are going to be. And then let me look at that. And based upon that plan, then we'll decide kind of how to go forward. 
And if they come back with a plan that makes absolute and complete sense, then you might just delegate to them according to that plan with the understanding that if the plan changes, they come back. Or if they bring back a plan that's not quite there, that doesn't give you confidence that they really understand what they're doing, then you may revert back to more of that directive coaching style. And so having that conversation with your team is critical in determining where are they on the continuum relative to this responsibility that you're asking them to fulfill. Yeah. And it's, and it's an element of, of, to use kind of another cliche, it's kind of trust, but verify and, and, and your, your degree of confidence in their ability to have a more delegative uh, approach. It grows based on the, the outcomes you see from them and the performance you see from them and also the feedback you get from them. If it's, as you said, if it's something brand new to them, good team members are going to say, I need more guidance. And the good ones are going to know they can, they're going to be comfortable coming back to you and saying, hey, I need a little bit more. I need your help knocking down these these obstacles or these issues because I'm not yet comfortable with it. You know, that's a great point. That goes back to another episode that we talked about of building that culture where people feel like that they can come to you and be vulnerable with you as the leader. And this is another example of where that plays out is if you've built the right climate, you've built the right culture, you treat people with mutual respect and encouragement. They're going to say, hey, I need I need some additional guidance here. Hey, no harm, no foul. Happy to give you that. Um, and so that whole concept of situational leadership, I I have just found it to be so beneficial. And when I have, you know, whether it's executive development sessions with groups and I know you've done the same thing and you begin to see the light bulbs come on because all of us, particularly when you inherit a group of people, you've got people at varying levels. And how do you sort through Who's going to be able to do what? Well, this concept of beginning to have a common language around directing, coaching, supporting, and, and delegating styles of leadership, beginning to have a common language about that, and then beginning to have conversations with your team to help them assess their confidence and competence against the risks of the task uh, is a great way to, to lay that groundwork to make it easier on you as the leader to get higher, more sustained results from your people. And, and the one thing I would say, too, is this is this is sort of a, a lifelong process as a leader. You have to kind of and most of the topics that we cover, it's not something you can kind of get exposed to one time and have it done. You need to constantly invest in yourself and in your team by renewing some of this thinking, having conversations about the thinking, taking courses, getting refreshed, engaging with groups like Innovation Junkie to, to have that outside objective third party. It's really important. And it's an investment in, again, in the thing that will make the most difference for the organization. And that's the team and the, the way the team is being led. That's the number one asset. I know I say that a lot, but it's it's really true. It's not the technology. It's not the market. It's the team. More often than not, it's going to make the biggest difference in the organizational performance. Yeah. And, and, you know, in our executive coaching engagements, and we're doing a lot more of those, you know, just for our listeners, everything we do here is around helping organizations achieve sustained strategic growth. And we find that the effectiveness of the organization is a key pillar to that sustained strategic growth. And the effectiveness of the leaders that lead that organization is another key pillar. And so we find more and more, uh, yeah, it's about helping them build a strategic growth plan but then when we start, most of our clients want us to engage in the in the advisory services to help them execute that plan. We find more and more that we're doing executive coaching for the for the CEO. We're doing executive coaching for two or three members of the C-level suites. 
and and many of these tools that we've been talking about in the past few episodes come to bear on this and and to watch an organization transform, which we have several right now. You know, one of which told us not long ago that we're we're ten he's ten years further down the road than than what he was uh, two years ago, uh, and that's really fulfilling to see. It's and it's amazing how how kind of helping them smooth off these friction points, these organizational leadership friction points can just unlock the potential of, of a, a, an otherwise good organization to really get to levels they wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. That's right. But as we know, our friend Jim Collins says, good is the enemy of great. That's right. Good is <laughs> the enemy right. of great. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast. We appreciate you for joining. See you next time. Feedback from listeners like you helps us create outstanding content. So if you like this episode, be sure to rate us or leave a review. Also, don't forget to subscribe to get the latest growth and innovation strategies. Thanks for tuning in to the Innovation Junkies podcast.